Welcome. This is the XFL Insider Podcast. This is your host, Matthew Tyler. Here I have Jake Lennard and Drew Wills. Um, looking to have some in-depth conversation regarding the XFL upcoming games and season. Um, some very valuable guests who some, have some great insights who can really lead you to where we need to go. Um, Jake, Drew, you got anything to say before we get started? How long have we been waiting on this, boys? How long have we been waiting on it? They announced, what, two years ago now? Two Too years long. ago. It's time. Yep. It's time. The Rock said, <laughs> it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. The XFL is going to succeed this time around. You smell that, don't you? It smells like football. And with no meddling from Vince McMahon. <laughs> <laughs> or bad ideas, for that matter. <laughs> Well, today we hope to discuss the games coming up, uh, specifically the matchup with Houston versus Orlando. Um, we are the Roughneck fans over here. I'm not sure with Jake, but I know me and Drew are. After that, we're going to have a brief convo just regarding um, the other games, the Vipers versus the Renegades, the Battlehawks versus the Brahmas, and the Dragons versus Defenders. We're actually going to have an interview piece from one of our correspondents, Jesse. Jesse's with Ambush Sports. And Jesse's here to tell us more about Orlando. But first, I just want to get started and, and have Drew lead us off and give us some, some good information about Houston. All right. So uh, so we'll just start off with the fact that uh, Houston's the best team in the league. And, and if Jake has a different opinion, well, he's just going to have to be wrong. Emotional damage! Other than that, <laughs> we can move into uh, intelligently... Uh, kind of discussing uh, not necessarily the the office staff, but some of the coaching stuff. Uh, there's a there's a heavy history from the Houston Oilers uh, coming from Wade Phillips, obviously Bum Phillips' son, Peyton Party, uh, another son of a, a former Oilers coach. Uh, AJ Smith is actually associated or of the coaching tree of uh, June Jones, who everyone knows. Uh, during the 2020 iteration of the XFL, uh, June Jones had Houston throwing the ball everywhere with P.J. Walker uh, running the air raid. It's the same thing that A.J. Smith does. Uh, the the offensive roster seems to be pretty loaded with talent, with the exception of maybe wide receiver. That's a little bit rocky. Um, running backs, Nick Hawley comes back. He's a fan favorite. Everybody loves him. Uh, there's some There's some pretty decent talent in the running back room. The offensive line looks really good, uh, and we'll get to later. Uh, somebody that I'm fascinated with is Garrett Owens, uh, listed as a tight end, but definitely a jack-of-all-trades. And then you move over to the defensive side, and and you just see talent on the D-line, a uh, lot of SEC representation really across the whole team. Oh, definitely, for sure. Yep, and uh, a little bit of ACC representation with – uh, with the linebacking core, uh, with the University of Miami, um, we'll we'll get to that. And then in the secondary, lots of lots of uh, pretty evenly talented guys. I would say if we had a weakness, it would be that. But uh, really, overall, top to bottom, I think it's one of the more balanced uh, talent collections in the XFL across the eight teams. Yeah, I definitely can attest to what you're saying, um, especially when it comes to the the Southern talent here. Um, <laughs> as you said, you're a Mississippi State and LSU fan, so we have a few big names there. Can you tell us more about them? 
Yeah, so we'll start off uh, with a surprise. So if we look at the at the depth chart, one thing that I was surprised about was, uh, and and this is me being an LSU homer a little bit, but it was surprising to me because uh, John Trey Kirkland from LSU, wide receiver, uh, Google do, like barely even knows who he is. Mm-hmm. It was there was no Wikipedia, there was no uh, there was no film on YouTube really. Uh, there was film of him talking, uh, and the reason for that is uh, John Trey Kirkland is very talented. Uh, make no mistake about it. But he could not get on the field for LSU. Uh, do you guys have either of you have any guesses as to why that is? Um, was that related to a criminal charge? If I have that correct. Nope. That was that was definitely somebody else. You got any? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know who you're talking about. We're not going to talk about that. <laughs> Jake, do you have any guesses? I'm drawing blanks at the moment. <laughs> drawing blanks. All right. So John Trey Kirkland was behind the likes of Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Keyshawn Boutte, and Terrace Marshall at LSU for Understood. three years. He did not sniff the field. Uh, he was very situational, but the talent was definitely there. The one time that he really played a, an important role uh, in a game for LSU that determined whether they won or lost, he played quarterback his senior year in the ball game against Kansas State. And on the very last play of the game, threw it, I think it was like an 80-yard touchdown. Didn't matter. But at the end of the game, when you throw an 80-yard touchdown as a wide receiver that's been starting the whole game as a quarterback, that's something that makes teams go crazy for their guys. Right. So so John Trey Kirkland has a massive amount of heart and for him to be able to finally put it together and get some exposure listed as a starter in a developmental league to hopefully get to the NFL. That's a huge step in his in his career overall. Another guy that we took in the uh, on the defensive line very early in the draft, uh, Chauncey Rivers from Mississippi State. Yes, sir. Uh, That guy is a headache. He's massive. He, he, I mean, he's everything that you want out of a, out of a defensive lineman missing that information. I'll have to fill that in later. Uh, Chauncey Rivers uh, really is a force to be reckoned with. He, uh, he gets good push. He's explosive off the line. He can get off blocks. His job really is to eat up people, uh, eat up people's attention and give that, uh, give that, Either three four or four three front. I would imagine it's probably going to be a little bit more three four, uh, with Wade Phillips having so much uh, talent in the linebacking core. Uh, but Chauncey Rivers is definitely going to play a big part. Uh, another player I mentioned him earlier in the in the intro is he's linebacker DeAndre Johnson from Miami. Uh, he was the quarterback of their defense. That is the most cliche thing. That, that people say about about linebackers, but it's it's really true. You could see him on the field communicating and shouting at people, trying to get them in the right places. Uh, there's there's one point in time I saw him run up and just like full swing smack one of his defensive linemen right in the right in the glutes, and you know trying to get him move, to move over because it was so loud where they were. Just just a really good team guy, really good leader, really good communicator. Uh, so I'm excited to see him lead that linebacking core. Uh, if I have that correct, he was on a Netflix <clears throat> Netflix special, right, a few years ago. Uh, 
I forget the name of it. But basically, they, you know, they got kids from East Mississippi and they documented them during their time in football there. Um, showed them take their next steps towards university. Talking uh, about a last chance, you? Yes, that's it. Yes, yeah, I believe he was featured in that. I know for sure Chauncey Rivers was. I'd, I'd have to look at it again to see if uh, DeAndre Johnson was. Gotcha. Uh, but DeAndre Johnson, man, huge talent, really rangy. Uh, as a middle linebacker, could cover too. Like I'm just insane talent on that guy. Yeah, I see from his stats, he's, he, he weighs a little less, so I'm sure he's going to be a lot faster, but that doesn't mean anything um, in terms of strength or size, you know. Uh, no, right. He can he can definitely fill the hole. With, you know, at 205 pounds, he's a little bit lighter than what you would want as a middle linebacker uh, traditionally, but he is rangy, absolutely rangy. Probably fits a little bit more in this scheme as an outside linebacker because of the matchups he's going to be put in on tight ends, but you're gonna you're really going to see him all over the field. All right. Let's let's talk about the offense specifically. Do you have any predictions for the schemes we're running or, or the backfield lineups that could be possible? So it seems like so so today the Houston Roughnecks named Brandon Silvers the starting quarterback. It kind of came as a surprise for me. I guess we can go ahead and get into this now. Uh, it kind of came as a surprise for me because a lot of people like had a love-hate relationship with Brandon Silvers, whether they oh, were yes. Dragons uh, fans or not. In the last iteration of the NFL or the XFL, rather, I can't think of a receiver that the Dragons had that was that was fantastic at all. Like he basically had zero help, so much so that they switched to a to a backup who immediately came in and threw for such staggering totals as 100 yards and. 150 yards, whereas Brandon Silvers, even though he was throwing interceptions, was putting up 300, 250 yards each game and really was the only reason that they stayed in the game for for the games that they were close in. I mean, Houston only beat them by nine and Houston's Houston's offense really was was great in that game. The defense didn't seem to be great, but I mean, Brandon Silvers was the whole reason that they that the Dragons even sniffed victory in any shape, form, or fashion, in my opinion, uh, from an offensive perspective. So I'm a little bit torn on what to think of him because I'm a, I'm a Cole McDonald fanboy after watching a lot of his film. Uh, just a huge guy, runs like a deer, and has an absolute laser for an arm. Uh, but that doesn't mean he's a better quarterback than Brandon Silvers. Brandon Silvers may have the, the mental edge and the, the football IQ to to kind of edge him out. Uh, I think knowing that AJ Smith comes from the coaching tree of June Jones, I'm probably going to defer to him. <laughs> really as a fan, I'm probably going to defer to a coach anyway, but it's it's it was interesting to see uh that Brandon Silver's won uh, just because he, it's really intriguing. At running back, uh, Nick Holly is going to be playing a huge role. You can't keep the guy off the field. You just can't. He's he's energetic. The team loves him. He he's kind of like one of those guys, almost like I mentioned with uh, John Tree Kirkland, who who is just the heartbeat of a team, right? Uh, somebody who is going to give you that burst of energy when you need it, uh, when you're whether you're up or whether you're down, they're going to make a play or or say something to the team that's going to really get them going and, and fired up and moving in the right direction. Yeah, I, I noticed Nick, he played receiver at one point for the Roughnecks. Is that correct? Um, yeah, so he was one of those flex players. So he he would line up, uh, you know, the air raid 
always four wide receivers, some uh, a lot of times five as well. They'll flex the running back out of the backfield, and that's a lot of what you saw from yep. Nick Colley was running from the running back spot into the slot or out to the perimeter on the short side uh, just to see what kind of matchups you can get to help to help identify whether the defense is in man or zone coverage and make it easier on the quarterback to make a play. That's that's a big reason why I think P.J. Walker was so successful was uh, the scheme, right? June Jones has always had good offenses, and usually the disciples, as I like to call them, of June Jones – have have the same success, right? It's very much a one-on-one setup scheme. You're running your players out there to try and get a mismatch, identify that mismatch, and then exploit it and ultimately win because of it. And if you can get that machine going, man, there's not a lot of slowing it down. And we saw that with the with uh, with the 2020 version of the Roughnecks. Yes, uh, he's a pure athlete. Um, I look forward to watching him on the field. I think he represents the Roughnecks well um, in all aspects. Uh, and then, you know, talking about some of the offensive guys, uh, Bryson Allen. So he's not he's not listed as a starter. Now that surprises me. I thought he would. Um, right. Unfortunate. So the the two starters are listed as Nick Holly, right? So Nick Holly has experience in this style of offense. It was pretty obvious he was going to play a lot. And then Max Borgie out of Washington state who played under Mike Leach in Mike Leach's uh, air raid offense, a uh, very similar setup to what June Jones does. So uh, Max Borgie makes a lot of sense uh, to, to trot out there in an, in an offensive system that he's familiar with. Right. But gotcha. a guy like a guy like Bryson Aline is way too valuable to keep off the field somebody that can make people miss somebody that uh has a a feel for space and somebody with a really quick burst bryson aline is five foot six and 165 pounds he goes down pretty easy but that's if you can catch him right and according to the to the depth chart that was released today he's going to be the kick returner for the roughnecks this year uh he has he had a lot of experience doing that at Delaware State during his collegiate days. Very good at what he does. I would expect some big plays, especially with basically having a 10-yard head start, you know, <laughs> kick returning. It's a it's a, a good setup for a, a player like him to make plays. And the same with Will Likely. Will Likely made a lot of plays as a, as a punt returner and kick returner uh, during his days. And uh, I think that's Possibly an area where you're going to see Houston be a little bit above league average is is in the kick return game. Special teams wins games, fellas. Learned that a long time yes, ago. Which, in connection with that uh, statement, special teams wins games, uh, I personally don't expect to see a lot of field goals this year, but uh, both the punter and the kicker are rookies. They are coming out of college. So we'll see exactly how much talent we have and race Porter and Hunter DuPlessis when it comes to, to kick placement and, and strategic things. If, if the roughnecks offense does start to kind of choke out a little bit in the game. That sounds great. Thank you for that outlook of players. Um, I think that is going to really help people get off the, the ground and start looking at some of these names. If you don't already know them in terms of offensive schemes, um, Drew, Jake, do you guys have any suggestions or, or, probabilities of what we'd be running with Houston. You said offensive schemes? Yeah, yeah. In terms of the spread, um, shotgun, I mean, what, what are we looking at? Yeah, so so the air raid and the uh, – uh, what did 
Yeah, you're going to have to give me a second to look at this. Oh, no problem. And this is purely speculative. I mean, we're, we're guessing. We, we haven't seen him practice. We haven't seen him play. Anything we could say, you know, it could be wrong, but we're still here. So, so June Jones runs kind of a version of the air raid called the run and shoot. Uh, it's a spread offense, shotgun, uh, takes advantage of one-on-one matchups, creates space in the middle so your running backs can, can produce, uh, you know, up the middle. Uh, they run his own blocking scheme uh, on their run plays. It's very friendly to to dual threat quarterbacks, which Silvers is not necessarily known for that. I think he can run, but I don't think that he's uh, going to be a guy like Cole McDonald that would add that uh, read option threat to the offense. Uh, and and now that I say that out loud, it kind of makes sense why Cole's, why uh, Brandon Silvers is is going to be the starter if. Uh, Cole McDonald doesn't have the same uh, passing ability or ability to read defenses. Uh, but overall, you're probably going to see a lot of one running back, four wide receivers. I would expect, and and this is something that, I, again, I touched on in the introduction, but the tight end guy that's listed as a tight end, uh, I don't refer to him as a tight end at all, is Garrett Owens. This is the guy that absolutely just looks like an adult playing Pee Wee League on his film. With that said, he did go to Duquesne University. He wasn't playing elite talent, but he was just bigger and better than everybody else there. Uh, so much so that he played three positions. He played, you know, lined up in the tight end spot, which he is listed at on the roster. His primary position was running back. He runs a 4'6", 40. Uh, oh, that's wow. pretty fast for a dude that's 230 and 6'3". Yeah, but that hit uh, he has open field moves. He can run over you, and he has jumping and catching ability. He played wide receiver as well at Duquesne. He was literally their their Swiss Army knife. So I don't even think that you're gonna unless unless they want to start running some uh, power spread and use him as an H back on some of those trap dive plays. I really really think that we're gonna see him lined up as a wide receiver rather than tight end, and he may even get some carries. Uh, as far as uh, from the running back position, depending on how things fall. Yes, he's an athlete as well. Uh, looking at his stuff from previous times, he's a multifunctional player. Uh, I expect to see him all over the field, blocking, catching, whatever, possibly running as well. If, finally, with the offense, we can hit on the linemen, um, the big boys. Um, we, and we have some big boys for sure. I think our offensive line is very strong. Uh, just looking at our stats alone and where they played and their years experience, looks like we're going to have a great upfront committee. Can you tell us any of the notable names from there? The latest big name, not even the latest big name, the biggest name is Sage Doxeter uh, out of New Mexico State. Just a massive human being, 6'7", 350 pounds. He's only 24 years old, so he's still fairly young. People, A lot of people forget, you know, the COVID year was kind of a bounce year, uh, so much so that the NCAA awarded everybody that uh, was on scholarship during that time an extra year of eligibility. So, you know, he's super young, but super talented, has all the measurables. Just, a, I mean, he's a hog molly, man. He's just a road grader. He can pass block. He really has it all. Uh, another another name to look out for is Desmond Noel. He's coming out of Florida Atlantic. The guy, just another tough SOB, right? Some, one of those guys that one of those guys that he's got that streak, right? Not too bad to where he's like hard to deal with on the team, but he's just got that mean streak. He wants to push people over, see them fall, 
Like he wants to put a hurting on the defensive line. Uh, and that's that's a, really the kind of guy that you want on your offense. Let's see here. Darwin Parker, Tommy Champion, uh, Jack Snyder. I mean, really, you look at the roster and you've got 301 pounds, 310 pounds, 331 pounds, uh, 350 pounds, 300. Like there's some beef on the offensive oh, yes. line in terms of just pure size, right? Uh, if that size can turn into protection – if that size can turn into aggression that is focused, Houston can be pretty hard to stop this year. And we look forward to it. That is for sure. Jake, is there anything you want to add on to the conversation before we move on to the defense? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, things will definitely be interesting uh, with uh, Brandon Silver's uh, leading the charge uh, for the offense. I mean, He's one of the people that's coming back from 2020 when he was with the Seattle Dragons. You know, he did uh, 53 for 102 for 539 yards. And then, you know, the league kind of fell flat. You don't have the likes of P.J. Walker, who was instrumental to the Roughneck success back in 2020. So it's like you're working with a completely new roster. But, you know, he did there, and there's not much known after him playing in the the spring league back in 21, as he did get included in the USFL draft in 22, just didn't go undrafted. So it's like he's still got so much to prove, even though he's only had three years on the field between the AAF, XFL, and uh, the uh, spring league. As far as the Roughnecks is concerned, I think that Wade Phillips is definitely the perfect pick for that position. You know, he's inheriting what was kind of left behind when June Jones was coach, uh, where I kind of think when it comes to the offensive attack, it's probably going, at least in my view, it's probably going to be a combination of whatever he draws up on uh, for the plays and then perhaps a spin on the June Jones playbook uh, to see what works and, you know, may have to modify as the season goes along. Uh, so, I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see how uh, things come up this season, especially with the f- performance of uh, Silvers. Right. Absolutely. I think just to add on a short little thing, we, we all kind of, belabored and, and bemoaned things when the XFL started off the last time around because there was no offense for just about any team outside of St. Louis and Houston. And everyone was frustrated with it. You saw a blow up between a quarterback and a head coach on one of the teams over play calling, right? And they did like there was no chemistry. This year it seems like the the XFL took the time to really give each team a chance to build that chemistry before the season. And uh, I think I think you'll see some instant offense, especially with guys in the league like uh, Josh Brown and, uh, you know, putting him with with a quarterback like Ben DiNucci in, in Seattle. You're looking at instant connections and instant talent. And nobody really knows if some of these guys on the defense have a, the ability to cover some of these guys. So. It, they're, like you said, it's definitely going to be interesting, not just in Houston, but across the league for, for the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, I agree with both of you and, and everything you said. <clears throat> I really feel like um, the guys that have played past AAF, uh, the last XFL, Spring League, Canadian, 
whatever it may be, I think those guys are really going to show their experience in the long run. Um, that's just my opinion. Now, as we move forward, uh, Drew, I just wanted to get on the defense and, and try to talk about it a little bit. What would you like to start with? <laughs> Let's go there. <laughs> so, uh, so defensively, uh, we'll probably let's talk a, a little bit about uh, some of the defensive coaches. So you're looking at Brian Stewart, uh, multiple stops as NFL defensive coordinator, uh, primarily a defensive backs coach. He, he coached for the Texans and the Cowboys. Uh, same thing with, with Wade Phillips. Overall, obviously a legendary figure in, in the coaching world. You know, that's not debatable. Been a defensive coordinator, defensive coach his whole life with a heavy focus on defensive backs. Defensive line, you've got Bill Johnson. I mean, he's, he was on the 2019 LSU team. Uh, a lot of people regard that uh, if they're not Alabama fans or Miami fans from back in the early 2000s, a lot of people regard that as the best team to ever take the field in college football. And a lot of a lot of that was due to the offensive line. The, the offensive line group as a whole there won the the top honors in the nation around their their national championship run. Right? Uh, he's coached. He also has experience coaching uh, Glenn Logan from LSU, uh, who is on the roster and is listed as the starting nose tackle. Uh, Interesting. Bill Johnson's really a good fit. Coached with the New Orleans Saints in and around the time of their Super Bowl run. So, I mean, the man knows what he's doing for sure. Linebackers coach is A.J. Reisig. Uh, Hopefully I'm saying that. Uh, If you're listening, coach, correct me if I'm wrong. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So he's got experience at all three levels of the defense. Uh, Usually when you have a guy who's coached at all three levels of the defense, uh, he turns out to be more of an asset than what the guys who are pigeonholed at one position uh, turn out to be. You know, he can come up with dynamic team drills, kind of bring things to light in the meeting room. A guy like that is a really good fit because they understand the entire defense. They understand the scheme. They they pick it up easily, and they understand what we're trying to do and how one player's actions affect another and what weaknesses that puts into your defense or what strengths that puts into what you're trying to do on that play. So really good fit at linebacker, especially with the talent that, that uh, Houston has in the linebacking core. Uh, Morgan Ford. It's the de- defensive backs coach. Uh, he spent the last five years of his coach uh, coaching career kind of breaking into a bigger picture. Uh, he was a grad assistant for a long time uh, in the defensive backfield. Uh, he's, he spent a lot of time as a recruiting, uh, not a recruiting coordinator, but but one of the recruiters on, on the teams. And uh, when you have a guy like that who – you can line up with what he's been doing, like defensive backs. I know, I know, I uh, kind of, uh, what do you call it? I kind of got on a soapbox there with it, uh, Coach Reisig about his ability to see everything from three different levels. But I mean, there's there's positives and negatives to everything. When you're talking about Morgan Ford, he knows defensive backs like the back of his hand. That's all he's done is coach defensive backs since his career started. Uh, his experience in recruiting means he's a really good communicator. Uh, when you're working on recruiting in the college game, you're you're dealing with different personalities. You have to make them uh, work together, or you have to not necessarily make them work together, but rather uh, put your words into a way that they can understand. 
and using that skill makes them work together on the field once you get them to your team. And really, that's that's kind of that's a really useful talent to have uh, is being able to talk with people and get them to do what you want them to do, especially in a, a position group that rivals wide receivers in terms of ego. Right. Everybody. I mean, Deion Sanders back in the day really brought that to light. Michael Irvin back in the day really brought it to light for wide receivers. Like the personalities are big in those two pers- in the, those two position groups no and doubt. you have to be able to deal with them. Because if you don't, uh, things can get out of hand, and you don't want people questioning coaches on your team. That's how teams fall apart. Uh, they definitely so, like to get rowdy. I will agree. Yeah, no, for sure. as a as a former defensive back in high school, I can attest to that. That is, we are feisty. <laughs> no uh, doubt. So, uh, and then you look at Greg McMahon. Uh, Greg McMahon, he's coached for for like forty years, right? The only person on the staff that's got more experience is Wade Phillips, and that's because. He's been coaching since since basically he came out of the womb, right? Greg McMahon, uh, most recently he was special teams coordinator uh, with uh, LSU again, uh, and that's this isn't me being a homer. This is just a lot of LSU synchronicity on this team for some reason. Uh, it's like magic. I'm happy with it, but maybe not everybody's happy with it. But I'm definitely happy with it. He also coached with the Houston Gamblers in the in the USFL. Uh, boo, right? Boo the boo the opposing league. Uh, <laughs> so it can be honorable sportsmanships here. We can make it. Hey, no, there's no sport. There's no worry about sportsmanship here. I mean, it's it's competition, right? You boo the competition as a fan. That's what I mean. Doing. I was okay until the commercial, and that's really right. what got me. But continue. Well, I'm sorry. Let's get off. <laughs> no, you're fine. <laughs> but yeah, so the guy knows what he's doing. He's been on NFL rosters. He's been on college rosters. Like I said, 40 plus years, the guy, the guys, there's really no way to question him with the talent that Houston has. Uh, and as far as returners, combining that with Greg McMahon, I think is is going to uh, be a huge deal for, for somebody to coach 40, 50 plus years. They have to be able to keep up with the game. The game can't pass them by. And with with Greg McMahon, the game has not passed him by. And the reason I believe he was hired is because he evolves with the game and has evolved so well. And uh, as basically the whole sports media is talking about with the XFL about rules, the the different kickoff system in the in the XFL with 97 percent of kickoffs from the last iteration of the NFL of the XFL being returned. That means something. Now it's a real field position battle uh, on every play, not just offense or defense and or punts, you know, Uh so Greg McMahon being able to evolve and move with the game and the changes in the game uh, really is going to is going to combine well with the talent that we have at return in the return game. It's definitely the perfect group to help lead these guys back to a football fruition um, somewhere to maybe get their name out and go back to the NFL, even though that's not what we hope for. It's probably a big goal for the coaches and the players developmental wise. So I think you're hurt in your assumptions. Really, the XFL has taken a huge, uh, kind of a, I guess, a side sidebar conversation. Uh, won't last long though. <laughs> uh, the XFL has kind of taken taken on the mantle of being a developmental league. Like if if you watched uh, any of the the videos on YouTube, I forget what the XFL called it, but they had you know both of both of the conferences uh, get together and have all four of their coaches in the same room and just talk for an hour. 
all over both of those uh, videos is coaches saying really what we're here to do is develop talent and get them that extra chance to make it off or make it to a practice squad and ultimately make it onto the roster in the NFL. That's what the XFL is building itself on. Uh, it's the way it's marketing itself. It's the way it's partnering with the NFL. Uh, the NFL has kind of made subtle references to the XFL. Uh, the XFL has made not so subtle references to being in cahoots with the NFL. So long term, ultimately, I think you're going to see year to year a lot of different a lot of different faces, and that's by design. Agreed, agreed. And you know, the last uh, Zoom conference call we set through. The coaches were very big on uh, player development and getting these guys to the next step. Um, they love that they're there to play for them, that they see the potential most of these players have, and they're helping them in different ways other than on the field. Um, they also, uh, during the press conference, I remember um, Coach Belcher, uh, it's Anthony Belcher, correct, for the Battle Hawks? Uh, Coach Beck, Anthony Beck. Coach Anthony Beck, apologies. Um, I'm not a Battle Hawks fan anymore. Um, <laughs> uh, he, not for you. No, sir, it's not. Um, he spoke highly on how they've got some financial stuff. They've come through and helped guys um, get their money right um, and how they're furthering their educations. So I look forward to hearing about some of those different things um, as, as the season progresses, because they seem very big on that. Absolutely. In terms of overall defense, I know I kind of kind of went off on the defensive coaching a little bit more so than I did the offensive coaching. Oh, no uh, problem. You know, in, in terms of overall scheme, uh, we're listed, the, the depth chart is listed as a 3-4 uh, defense. It, it's interesting to me that 3-4 uh, is the way that we're going, especially when we're, the nature of the league is such that uh, pretty much everyone's going to be in a spread Right. That's just the nature of football these days. Everyone's going to be in a spread. Personally, the way I look at several of the other teams, they seem like they're going to be in some some modification of a three, three, five or a, a four, two, five uh, nickel defense and try to win those matchups that offenses like Houston try to set up. But for us to be three, four, that really that really says that we're putting an emphasis on the perimeter. And that really says that we really trust some of the guys that are up front, some of the guys like Glenn Logan and and uh, Trevon Mason. It also kind of makes sense to me because we've got four linebackers on the field. Uh, that's the most loaded position on our defense. So getting your best players on on the field is the name of the game. So uh, you know I shouldn't be so surprised, but three four is kind of a. a you have to have the right personnel to run a three-four. You can't just you can't just wing it. Uh, and I trust uh, Wade Phillips enough to to believe that he's got it right on this one. Yeah, I'm in agreement in that as well. Um, I believe those guys up front as well as in the backfield are going to show up, and be very physical, and bring the heat during games. Um, it's expected, and I hope to see it Saturday in person. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, going forward, is there anything else you want to review in the defense uh, before I hand it over to Jake? Um, I think I think defensively, one of the names to look out for is uh, or two names to look out for is Kerry Vincent Jr. and Will Likely. Uh, both of those guys have have a lot of uh, nickelback experience. 
So when we do – obviously, we're not just going to stay in a 3-4. 3-4 is going to be the base defense. But when we flex into that 4-2-5 or a dime defense, look for guys like Kerry Vincent and Will Likely to come in and, and either uh, send pressure off the edge because Wade Phillips loves to blitz, absolutely loves the blitz, or to spend time as a as an extra safety in a three-top uh, or, or three three-safety look. Uh, a lot of teams seem to be giving that situational uh, looks now, situational plays in a three-safety look to kind of take the top off of some of the deeper threat defenses. So uh, those are two names to, to look at. Thank you, Drew. It's great outlook on the defense and offense. Um, Jake, would you like to add anything to the defensive conversation? I think it'll be interesting to uh, see uh, what uh, Brian Stewart has cooked up with his team as it involves their playbook. I mean, I kind of remember vaguely uh, his time with the Chargers, Cowboys and Eagles, and even some of his runs with college teams, you know, with Nebraska, Baylor, and even his last gig with Maryland. But this is the one part that kind of hurts a little bit because he was a DB coach back in 99 and 2000 at Mizzou. Yeah, I'm a self-hating Illinoisan that likes Mizzou. Yeah, deal with it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, those two years was really, really bad for Mizzou because, you know, 99, they finished with four and seven, one and seven, the Big 12. The following year was just a little bit better, but still bad. You know, 3-8 overall, the 2-6 and six record in the conference. So I'm hoping that he doesn't execute anything that ends up being that bad. I mean, obviously, over time, he's improved with his, uh, his playbook, and he's been all over the uh, – all over the positions in the defensive end, but people don't realize that even early in his career, he was originally an offensive coach because, you know, 93, 94, he did wide receivers and running back, uh, running back, uh, coaching them 93 and 94 before he went back to his alma mater in 95, dealing with the tight ends and special teams. So he's, I mean, if you really needed, needed him to, he, you could get him to do whisper some sweet nothings to the offense if it's really necessary. <laughs> I'm sure he might whisper a little bit if needed. Thank you, Jake. <clears throat> um, next, we're going to have Jesse uh, tell us a little more about Orlando. Um, as we go, uh, we'll let him do his his thing and give us a rundown, and then afterwards we'll discuss the the next matchups very briefly, um, and then just discuss any updates, news, or anything else. Hey Matthew, thank you for having me on the podcast today. I'm always excited to get to talk about Orlando Guardians football. Unfortunately, at this point in time, not a whole ton is known because there's still a lot of things hanging out in the air, but I think we can make some educated guesses. Offensively speaking, I think we're looking at a spread-style offense, and I'm basing that off of the fact that we have six wide receivers on squad, three tight ends, but only two running backs, which struck me as particularly bizarre, given that in any other level of professional football, how likely running backs are to get hurt. However, at his press conference, Terrell Buckley said that he feels very comfortable with his wide receivers carrying the football, 
much like Debo Samuel with the San Francisco 49ers, which leads me to believe that we're going to see some trickery. We're going to see some zone reads. We're going to see a lot of five wide receivers, a lot of shifts and moment, shifts in formation. I think it's going to be a wide open air raid style of offense, and I can't wait to see it take place. Unfortunately, at quarterback, we still don't have any answers yet. DeAndre Francois, Quentin Dormandy, and Paxton Lentz have apparently not done enough to separate each other out. At wide receiver, I'm excited to see Charleston Rambo, the former Miami product, who, who put up big numbers in his last year there, and very surprisingly was not a first, was not was not a draft pick in the NFL. I'm excited to see Dantes Bird, who's been productive at every at every spring football that he's done, and Eli Rogers, who was on the Pittsburgh Steelers roster for four years and was a pretty integral part of their special teams. So I think that could be a huge piece for us. At tight end, Cody Latimer brings a ton of experience as he was a second-round draft pick in the NFL, and I'm excited to see how that translates into the XFL. On the defensive side of the ball, I'm expecting this defense to be very stout in a 3-3-5. We haven't heard anything for sure, but based off of the depth chart we received from the Orlando Guardians, a 3-3-5 scheme seems to fit best with what we've received. With Terrell Buckley being the head coach and being a former cornerback legend in the state of Florida, I expect to see a pretty stout defense, but also because this defense is littered with NFL talent at every position. Gerald Willis, in case you're not familiar, has, has spent time on the Miami Dolphins roster, and he was brought to us via the supplemental draft in a move that was very exciting to the Orlando Guardians. At linebacker Terrence Smith and Josh Harvey Clemens, both have spent time in the NFL. Josh Harvey Clemens with the Washington Commanders and Terrence Smith with the Kansas City Chiefs and the Miami Dolphins. And most of us should remember Matt Elam as he was a former first-round pick of the Baltimore Ravens out of the University of Florida. I think this defense has the potential to be very stout, especially early on and when offenses typically aren't quite caught up yet. Looking forward this weekend to the matchup with the Houston Roughnecks. I'm both excited and nervous at the same time. Excited because in this podcaster's opinion, six days without football is far too long. Nervous because we're getting a huge test right off the bat. I expect the Houston Roughnecks to have a solid team this year, as they're going to be well coached by former NFL defensive coordinator Wade Phillips. This roster, as me and my colleague Drew were talking about, is littered with SEC talent which if I was trying to build a team in a startup league, I would start out the SEC. They have a history of great producing great defenders, and I see no reason why this would be any different. Looking to this matchup, I see three big things that are going to determine the outcome of this game. Number one is going to be the quarterback for Orlando against Houston secondary and defense. We still have yet to announce a starter, and I expect this Houston defense to be well coached. So, quite honestly, I'm expecting a low-scoring game at this point. Number two, Houston's defensive line against Orlando's offensive line. I feel like the six wide receivers on on staff and the two and two running backs with three tight ends. I'm expecting that they don't have a whole lot of faith in their offensive line, so they're trying to run a spread offense and get everybody out on the perimeter and force them to guard the whole field, making it a little bit easier for the offensive line to do their job. So for that reason, the offensive line is a huge question mark in this game for me. Number three is going to be Houston's quarterback against Orlando's defense. I've already mentioned that Orlando's defense, I feel like, should be pretty stout. And I think Brandon Silvers, who we saw in the XFL in 2020, was one of the big reasons why the Seattle Dragons were any good. So 
I expect him to be pretty solid this year. I really do. So I'm excited to see what our defense can do about him. If we can hold him in check, I expect a low-scoring game. I think I think that given the fact that this is week one and teams still have a lot to iron out, I'm thinking that this game is going to fall under the o- under on DraftKings at 35. I'm thinking somewhere in the range of 13 to 10 Orlando. All right, guys. So next up, we want to discuss the matchups um, that we have next. Uh, let's start with the Vegas Vipers versus the Arlington Renegades. Drew, Jake, which one of you would like to start? Jake, I'll defer to you on this one. <laughs> I, I Okay, well, I appreciate that. Um, you know, the one thing that I really think is consistent, at least with one of these teams in this matchup, is the fact that the Renegades brought back Bob Stoops as coach. I mean, he was their coach back in 20, and they you know, did well enough in uh, the new ownership to bring him back as coach. And then, of course, the Vipers are in a completely new market because, I don't know, they must have struggled in Florida or something to have them move. So the, the one thing that's going to be interesting is how the Vipers are going to adapt to their new home and whether they can brush off the reputation that they had in Tampa Bay, uh, which I there's a saying I won't refer to on this podcast, but most fans know what I'm referring to when it comes to the Vipers and their so, fans. Sometimes you got to stand up. We know that. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that I look at is, you know, we talked about uh, – in, in the Roughnecks special teams section about the game not passing Greg McMahon by. My biggest question in this matchup is, has the game passed Bob Stoops by? Uh, he did not end on a very, very good note in Oklahoma. Excellent coach in college, but it seems like he was falling off when, when he left. Now, he didn't have a whole lot to deal with uh, in terms of talent last time Last time around in the XFL. He had a brilliant tight end, uh, almost like Garrett Owens, uh, who was just a physical mismatch nightmare. And, and that got them a little bit of offensive success. But they didn't really seem to have an identity. Now, granted, you know, we did make mention earlier of the fact that nobody basically had an identity in the, in the early days of XFL 2.0. But can can Bob Stoops put together a, a competent team overall at the at this level or or any level uh, for that matter is a good question for me. And then also the Vipers have Rod Woodson as their head coach. How many questions can you ask a man of Rod Woodson's stature? Like he is legendary, so kind of the same as Bob Stoops, but but he doesn't have any track record to go on. So there's a lot of intrigue there dealing with with both of the head coaches. So it'd be interesting to see kind of what they cook up. Yeah. I believe their game in Choctaw stadium should be a good one. Um, in 20, I visited there and it was a beautiful place. We had a lot of fun. Uh, the battle Hawks came through and steamrolled them though. And <laughs> <laughs> as terms of players, do you guys have anybody notable that you'd like to, to bring up? It's interesting to me that, uh, Geronimo Allison, who people have heard of from the Packers and and a couple of other stops and or Martavis Bryant, excuse me, are both in that wide receiver core for uh, for the Vipers, and they have Brett Hundley at quarterback from UCLA, very much a guy that can run, but he's definitely got a, a good a good throwing game too. So having that kind of receiver receiver talent on your roster as well as experience 
uh, that could be a huge, huge advantage for for the Vipers. Jake, got anything you'd like to add in terms of personnel or players? I, I think one of the um, main people that's just, I don't know, just strike on me, uh, trying to think of people that are relatively, you know, local to me that are actually playing in Arlington. And one of them that just came to mind was uh, Brian Folkerts, who is uh, a center for the team. You know, he's from Florissant, Missouri. He's a Hazelwood Central alumni. He's been here and there. You know, he did a little bit of time in New Orleans, then went and played for San Jose with the Sabercats. Two years with, two, three years with the Panthers. And see, I didn't know this part. He had actually played for the St. Louis Rams in 2015. That kind of shame on me. And this is what now wore this name actually comes to mind. He played for the Battlehawk in 2020. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to so, say anything. I was going to wait. <laughs> so now it, it now that I see him playing in Arlington now, it's going to be interesting to see what he can carry on in those time that he hasn't played. Is is he does he still have it at 33 or is things just getting, you know, too little too late with him in his career? If I remember correctly, now don't quote me on this. I believe he was the player who ran the first kickoff back in 2020. Can't remember correctly. I believe that's right, though. That's um, right. He was a stud. Um, very good. Him and Jordan uh, was a, were a great combo. <clears throat> so I, I expect you're correct. He should have a decent time as long as he stays away from injuries. All right, guys. So let's just go ahead and um, slide over to the Battle Hawks versus the Brahmas. And that's in the Alamo Dome. Um, this is the game The Rock is supposedly supposed to be at. Not sure I mean, if it's I believe the Brahmas. that. The Brahmas has to be there. <laughs> it's his own team, for sure. Uh, what do you guys think of this matchup? Any any kind of insight or, or projections towards this? One interesting storyline is on the Battlehawk side. Re- I mean, really, I have two interesting storylines on that side that I'm watching. Austin Prohl, wide receiver, is being coached in that position by his father, Ricky Prohl. Anthony Beck is not messing around. Donnie Very Abraham, interesting. Yeah, Donnie Abraham's the defensive coordinator. Everybody knows that name. Leroy Glover is defensive line coach. Uh, there are some very, very big names on this coaching staff for the Battle Hawks. Bruce Gradkowski, offensive coordinator. I mean, it, if anything, it's an all-name team, right? You've got talent from, from the NFL. You've got talent from previous iterations of the XFL making themselves known in, in St. Louis. And, and it's no wonder that in a lot of places they're kind of the odds-on favorite to, to win the league this year. Yeah, in terms of, of just notability, if you think XFL, most people think Battlehawks as well. Um, I feel yep. like that pulls a lot of those big names. That was the number one market um, back in 2020. I'm not sure if it'll be the same this time, but um, we'll see. Uh, Jake, you got anything you'd like to add? I mean, it was touched on pretty well there. Um, I think it's just going to be interesting uh, what comes up. I mean, I remember Ricky Prohl when uh, (laughs) he was one of the instrumental factors of the greatest show on turf when the Rams were in St. Louis. So it's really uh, interesting to see what uh, he has planned, especially with his son being on the offensive team. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of good names on this coaching team. You know, we don't 
don't have um, Jonathan Hayes, who was the head coach back in 20, because he's a co-offensive coordinator in Arlington with the Renegades. You just have to do things differently. You know, the coach is great, uh, a great pick. You know, he's still got a little bit to prove there because he's only had one other time where he's been a coach in the AAF. But, you know, and I vaguely remember his short time with the Rams because uh, he was there in 08. It's interesting looking at his resume as a player, and it was just glad that St. Louis was one of his stops toward the latter end of his career, and I do have some hope of uh, what is in store this season. There there are good names on this roster, and I, especially with uh, McCarron and uh, Manny Wilkins been on the roster, and Vidal Alexander and uh, Travis Finney, Willie Harvey Jr., uh, Nate Maders, you know, you go through and you just got to see uh, and you only hope the best for uh, the people on this team. Uh, I know that there's some that may not even make the game on Sunday because of some potential uh, injuries. Uh, you know, wide receiver Steve Mitchell is currently on limited activity and we don't know what his uh, situation will be by Sunday. The same thing with defensive back Tim Harris, who's on limited uh, training activity and not sure if he'll make it to Sunday. But we know there's we got a probable for offensive lineman Stephen Gonzalez and the same thing with linebacker Mike Rose. So it'd be interesting to see how things develop in the next few days uh, or, you know, leading up to game day to see if, you know, we have can make the most of the roster um so i heard a lot about the battle hawks there is there any notable mentions for the brahmas any glad you asked because i was going to read exactly (laughs) that so uh two things that i notice is it so it's it's similar observations uh uh between the battle hawks uh so heinz ward first time coach uh wasted no time in 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 putting Joey Porter at linebacker coach, the the Steelers connection there. Uh, I mean, these guys are are digging into their pockets and really coming out with with good connections to put on their team. I mean, if you're a linebacker, Joey Porter is definitely on the short list of people you want to listen to in any capacity whatsoever. So, and and the same thing at wide receiver with Heinz Ward. So uh, having two big names like that, one on each side of the ball, uh, really can reap some benefits. One thing that I question is whether or not with Heinz Ward being a first-time coach and the draft being done in a way that it wasn't done before for all the teams is did the draft affect how Heinz Ward and the, their coaching staff drafted the the players that they did. The reason I ask that, most of the teams in the league, most of the eight teams, have eight or nine wide receivers and one tight end or no tight ends, right? Uh, the Brahmas have four tight ends on their roster. So that leads me to believe that, you know, during the draft, there were some people being picked that, that they really wanted they had a scheme that they wanted to run based on all the talent that they saw, and they thought going into the draft that maybe we can draft regardless to fit this scheme, and then that plan maybe went awry. Uh, strictly a, a pontification there, but for you to have four tight ends on your roster in a in a developmental league, either these guys can all play wide receiver, or you're about to run some power spread and and pound the ball up the middle with some of those kind of trap blocks like we were talking about. 
And when you have guys on your on your roster at running back like Kalen Balage out of Arizona State or uh, Jacques Patrick out of Florida State, Landon Akers even can can carry the ball up on the inside from the wide receiver spot on on those jet sweeps. Man, it really seems like they want to run the ball. Yeah, I expect them to be physical with that. I saw that initially when they did the first draft. Um, it threw me off because you know most of the other teams did not roll in the same fashion. But it should make for some interesting play, especially considering that's the Rock's baby. Um, <laughs> should be a good good time. Yeah, and oh. one more thing. Go ahead. Uh, there's a couple of members of the all-name team on on the roster for, for the Brahmas, both offensive linemen. Uh, Damian Mama, M-A-M-A, Mama. Mama's playing on the offensive line. I like it. I like it. Oh. Yep. Get out of Mama's way when she's mad. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> Chidi Okeke out of, out of Tennessee State. Both of those guys, incredibly talented, on top of having amazing names. Thank you for that. Uh, Jake, anything to add? Yeah, I was just going through uh, San Antonio's roster. I mean, you know, you touched up on Heinz Ward. I mean, nothing. I mean, he's got a lot to prove, but, you know, he's he's had some offensive coaching experience, just not as head coach. This is his first opportunity of really make an impact so you know i followed his entire time as a player with the steelers you know he did a little little bit of time as uh, an offensive coach before going to the jets and then going to florida florida atlantic and then some people may or may not even remember that he was also the head of football development for the aef so you know someone that knows how to win has Two Super Bowl rings to his name, uh, you know, four Pro Bowl honors. There's a lot in his resume that, as a player, that he can pass on as a coach. And and I think that's where you know people like wide receiver T.J. Vasher could really benefit from. You know, he hasn't really had much of an opportunity. It's 21 when he was drafted by the Cowboys. Hadn't really gone anywhere, so the fact that he's in San Antonio to try to make an impact to potentially make it back to the big show is would be crucial, and let's see how he can help execute uh, uh, the offensive playbook. Uh, now, a little bit of a tidbit that I did find out about uh, Vasher was his uncle Nathan was actually in the NFL uh, from uh, 2004 to 2010, most of his career being in Chicago with the Bears. So that was a nice little tidbit that I was able to find out. Nice. Did not know that. Yeah, that's a stacked resume right there. Um, I did not either. All right, guys, the last matchup on deck. It's the Seattle Sea Dragons versus the D.C. Defenders. Um, Drew, let you go ahead and go. You've been rolling first, so we'll keep it going. All right. So uh, how can you say anything about anybody on the defenders without mentioning uh, Jordan Tiamu? All-star for the original alliteration of the XFL. Right. Yeah, a little bit of homerism coming, but I'm not going to blame you for that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jordan Tiamu, extremely good talent. Uh, the question is going to be, can he be protected? Because uh, when teams pressured him in the last iteration of the XFL, he kind of seemed to crumble a little bit. He seemed to freak out and run. Has he made that step to where he has a little bit of extra pocket presence to step up and throw a ball rather than tuck it and scramble and get into some some trouble when they bring exotic pressures? 
interesting note, Eric Dungy, Tony Dungy's son, is uh, the he's third string quarterback. But all three of these quarterbacks are defense are uh, dual threat quarterbacks. Uh, De'Eric King being the other one out of Miami. <clears throat> going to be really, it's going to be pretty interesting to see what kind of uh, offense these guys run. They've got three tight ends, so they're kind of in a little bit of an in-between. I would imagine, uh, looking at where these guys played, they're probably going to be more like wide receivers. Kind of how I mentioned earlier, some some teams have tight ends that probably won't see the field as a tight end. And really, the offensive side of the ball is going to be my my question about these guys. Not a whole lot of big names on defense for for the Battlehawks, at least not from my point of view. But the floor of the talent is really high. So, so it'll be, oh no, a lot, a lot of people have them as the odds on favorite strictly because of their coaching staff and the fact that they have Te'amu and Te'amu's a, a known quality at quarterback. I'm not 100% convinced and, and I realize I had a slip of the tongue there. It's the defenders, not hey, the no Battlehawks. No problem. I'll let you finish before we say anything. No problem. <laughs> Nail me to the wall after I'm done sounding like a like a <laughs> <laughs> Jake, you got anything to add on the offense? Yeah, I'm actually looking right now. It's it's I do think the matchup of Haslett and Jones and the coaching staff is really going to play into whether they'll be able to do well this season. The one thing, I mean, I'm not actually recognizing any names from 2020 that might be on this team. On the offensive side, but it, it'll be it'll be interesting to see whether anyone on this team would be able to accurately execute what Haslett and Jones has uh, ready to fire off on the offensive end. We're not on the defense yet because I've got an opinion about Ron Zook, and it may not be popular. <laughs> oh, go ahead, man. Go ahead, take it from there. Okay, so. He's one of the reasons why I hate the Fighting Illini. Uh, he's probably one of the worst co- coaches in Illinois history. You know, losing most of his seasons there, 05, 06, 08, 09. And then just, and then of course, you know, two subpar seasons. His best season was a 9 and 4 in 2007. But when you're playing in a conference like the Big Ten Conference, that is just not going to cut it. Looking at his team, I really don't recognize anyone that would strike a bell with me. Uh, Looking at the defense, nothing strikes me as anything that could amaze me. But have been proven to be wrong from time to time, so... <laughs> Haven't we? You all? just never know unless you know you see them play. It's been three years too long since the last season, and you got new people on the field, so it, there's just not a whole lot you can really go off of no tape to look at. Agreed. We're all speculating here, but I like the educated responses, and you guys seem like you definitely know your football enough to make some guesses for the guys at home and girls. Yep. I think uh, it, in the same way that the Battle Hawks are looked at strictly for their coaching staff, I think the same can kind of be said about Seattle, right? Uh, Jim Haslett, Jim Haslett, excuse me, coaching legend. June Jones, coaching legend. Ron Zook, for better or worse, coaching legend at the at the college level, uh, had amazing years as a defensive coordinator at, at Florida, uh, which is you know how he ultimately ended up taking the head coaching job at Illinois. 
And I think my take on Ron Zook is he's a bit of a polarizing guy because he was so good at Florida and because he was so bad at at Illinois. And I think it's just one of those situations where some people are better better coordinators than they are head coaches. Uh, it obviously takes a different skill set to be a successful head coach. And uh, from from everything that we saw from Ron Zook, it looked like he just didn't have that. But as a defensive coordinator, there's no doubt that the man knows how to apply pressure. He knows how to scheme. He definitely knows what he's doing. And and with guys like uh, Chip Garber helping him on the on the defensive line and in that front seven, you know he he's got a lot to work with there. Uh, there there may not be a whole lot of of big names on the defense, but with with coaching like that, you can take you can take nothing and turn it into something. Uh, that's kind of what the, the Roughnecks did in the second iteration of the of the XFL. And and as far as the offense, how can you not put Seattle as, as the favorite? Like, I'm absolutely confused. You have you have Jim Haslett as head coach and June Jones as, as your offensive coordinator. And you've got a quarterback like Ben DiNucci or Harrison Frost. And just in case... You have Stephen Montez, too, who showed flashes in the previous iteration of the XFL. You've got running backs like TJ Hammonds and Morgan Ellison. Uh, you've got Josh Gordon, right? Nobody knows how, how Josh Gordon's going to play out this year. Can he stay off the vitamins, right? Like, <laughs> how, how is the XFL going to apply their policy against vitamins it is a question that nobody really knows the answer to. Uh, I mean – there's so much talent on the offensive side of the ball for for uh, Seattle that it's really hard to see them doing anything other than light people up. And really, I think in in a league like the XFL, that's a startup, right? Once again, just like they were in 2020, except this time they seem like they figured their stuff out. You've got to have offensive production to win in in a league like this. Houston and and uh, St. Louis both showed that in the last iteration of of the XFL, where the DC Defenders were the favorite to win it all because they had uh, I'm blanking on his name, quarterback uh, played at Ohio State. Dang, I can't remember his name. Uh, either way, he was supposed to be. Uh, right up there with Jordan Te'amu in terms of talent and ability. And he ended up dropping the ball and not being as good of a quarterback. Now, whether that was on the other players around him, the scheme, coaching not fitting the scheme to him, uh, you know, wherever the fault lies, they couldn't score. And ultimately, they weren't really a great team. Uh, Car- so Cardell Jones is the man you speak of. Cardell Jones. Yes, sir. How could I forget that name? He was so good same. at Ohio State. Uh, but nonetheless... I mean, with that kind of offensive talent, especially with guys in the league like uh, like Josh Gordon, who's a matchup nightmare in the NFL, like much less the XFL, is there any defense that's going to be able to stop them? That's a that's a holy a holy grail offense if I've seen one, and it almost doesn't matter if you have good defense, but it seems like they're going to be able to put some sort of product on the field of defense. Uh, so I, I personally expect Seattle to win big in this one. I like it. I like both your takes. Uh, I feel they're both informative, like I said, and you both show your opinions and your personalities a little bit in both. So I appreciate that take. Can I say something about uh, 
Oh, uh, Jordy T. Go ahead. I, I just say I love the fact that he's back in this league. Uh, I mean, you know, he didn't get to play a whole season in St. Louis, and you know, he he did pretty good passing seventy two, you know, making seventy two percent of his uh, passes. You know, he was able to play twice that amount, in, you know, in the USL with Tampa Bay. I mean, he may have had to suffer a little bit, but he did pass for about twice that much. Well, not quite twice that much, but he he got 14 touchdowns and 12 interceptions, which is never good in any scenario. <laughs> but the the, the, the the thing that's unfortunate is between that time that he's actually been able to do anything, you know, he's been on practice squads for the Chiefs, Lions, the Washington football team. Don't get me started on that name. And the the Carolina Panthers, but yet was not used to any capacity outside of that. It's like, what were they thinking? Were they not watching his video? I mean, obviously, what he did in the XFL in 2020 got him on the Chiefs, but yet it was a wasted opportunity because they didn't use him outside of the practice squads. So it would it would definitely be interesting to see how he does this year because. It's just between the XFL and USFL, and the NFL has just completely used and abused him and not put any property use to him. So it'd be nice to see what happens this season with DC, since unfortunately, my homer, he's not he's not with uh, the Battlehawks. So <laughs> it should be a good season regardless. Put some respect on his name is what I like to say. Um he he's, right. he came ready to play in 2020, um, and I'm not gonna lie, I, I'm a Houston fan now, but I am still a fan grilling out about Jordan. So Jordan, if you hear this, give me a shout. <laughs> right. Uh, At me. Before At we me. before we move on, you guys got anything else to add? Not particularly. I think uh, I think it's interesting how, uh, and this is just a general XFL note. I think it's interesting how. Uh, the odds across the four games are so even. Uh, and that basically tells you Vegas knows nothing about what's happening behind the scenes right now. All of the games are two and a half or one and a half point spread, according to uh, who's this? DraftKings, yeah. Uh, over under of 35 and a half, 36 and a half, 35 and a half, 37. Sucker bets on the Vegas side. Yeah, uh, the media interview they did a few days ago, they mentioned something about Vegas and, and DraftKings and such, and they're basically just waiting for some time to ride out and see how popular everything is before going forward. Uh, all right, guys, so that about wraps up the podcast. I want to finish and ask you uh, personally, um, each of you pick a team or a game. Tell me who you think is going to win and the points. Very simple, basic. Let's just see what you got. Jake, why don't you take this one first, Buff? Let's go Battlehawks Brahmas. Uh, I'm not really a fan of the Brahmas two and a half because I, you know, obviously I got to back my Battlehawks, but I do think it's definitely going to be over on the uh, 
I really think they're going to score more than 36 and a half. Like was said, these are sucker bets. They're going off of very little to no data, and they can't really use 2020 as a reference point. So, I mean, I, I, I have to go Battle Hawks and then over on the points. Uh, what about uh, you, Drew? What you got? Uh, for me, man, uh, so, so I want to touch on two. Uh, the first one. I just want to say that the Roughnecks are about to beat the Guardians. Uh, it's I don't know that it's even going to be close, really, uh, from just my personal analysis of both teams. Uh, but also, I'm a fanboy, like you were saying. <laughs> so just a little quick plug there from my Roughnecks. And then uh, uh, the game that I'm really watching is Seattle and, and D.C. Like I said a second ago, man, uh, how you can not watch that game and hammer the over of 35 and a half is beyond me. Even if DC comes out and lays a, a complete egg, puts up zero on the board, I think Seattle's just going to destroy the scoreboard. Uh, you you start looking at 35, 36, and 37 as scores, right? Well, in the XFL, we all know a possession can end up in nine points, right? So we're talking about, what, three? Three touchdowns, four touchdowns? So three is 27. You're talking about 36 points being four touchdowns with converted extra points from the, from the three point area. So how you cannot hammer the over in that game with people like Josh Gordon on the field is just way beyond me. I am going to go with Houston versus Orlando. I will be there Saturday watching. Partially, I'm going to say Houston by 16. How about that? I like it. I like it. Anything double digits. I'm a fan of (laughs) big fan here. Um, As we finish possession league, Exactly. Lastly, before getting off the air, I just want to make a couple plugs. Uh, first off, I want to plug myself. That's the XFL Insider Podcast. You can find me at Twitter at XFL Insider POD and then at YouTube at XFL Insider Podcast. This is my first time doing anything fan driven um, completely from the love of my heart. Please give me some feedback. Good, bad, ugly, whatever. You can find me on the socials. I'm also on Facebook. Next, I want to give a big shout out to Ambush Sports. Uh, Ambush Sports is a sports network that's driven by fans as well as professionals. Please check them out. That's ambushsports.net. And on Twitter, that's Ambush Sports. Uh, great network, very informative, great people to work with. Please check them out, support them, like them. I'm part of that as well as Jake and Drew. Thank you again, Ambush. Anything you guys want to close with before? Please plug anything you got, um, yourselves, your your businesses, whatever you got, please. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'll just start by saying this is this is my first foray into the, the media. Uh, I've been lucky enough to make some good connections, lucky enough to ask uh, some some uh, head coaches some questions in uh, in my first uh, media experience with the XFL conference call this this week, which uh, was amazing. Anthony backed on the on the call. Just a very, very intelligent man. Really, both coaches, uh, Reggie Barlow. So both uh, both coaches on the XFL conference call this week, very intelligent, very uh, gracious to the league. Uh, very gracious to the people asking them questions like myself. Uh, so I want to thank those guys uh, for for making my first foray into into media a success, uh, at least in my eyes. Uh, hopefully, and everyone else's in the future. Uh, I'm on Twitter. You can catch me at Ambush Sports, capital H O U for Houston. Ambush Sports H O U, and on Facebook. 
Houston Roughnecks dash ambush sports. Uh, yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Um, I'm hope to be on here a little more in the future. Uh, you can find me on, uh, Twitter at, uh, Jake Leonard, uh, J R N. Uh, I'm on Facebook obviously as Jake Leonard and hopefully I'll have, uh, Facebook and Twitter pages for the Battlehawks coming down the road. I'm also the editor in chief of Heartland Newsfeed when I'm not writing for Ambush, and you can find that at heartlandnewsfeed.com. Thank you very, very much. You guys are did great. I appreciate you coming on. Um, just to close, I'll say we're going to try to release episodes weekly. Um, look for a Friday, Saturday time when it comes out. Um, this is all fan driven. We're not paid. So this is really just stuff we're doing out of the goodness of our heart. Um, but thank you for listening. And um, we look forward to the next episode. Thank you, and guys. Remember, is not the law. And we don't stand. We don't do it here. Exactly. <laughs> Basically, anything they do in St. Louis, we don't do. <laughs> oh, that's, that's in Vegas, brother. That's in Vegas. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, that too. Thank you again, guys. I look forward to next week. Have a good night. Yes, sir. Much appreciated.